pain has reached epidemic proportions in America. I'm Dr. Paul Christo. This is Aches and Gains. Dr. Paul Christo is one of America's leading experts on relieving pain. He's board-certified, Harvard-trained, and a pain medicine specialist at Johns Hopkins. U.S. News and World Report ranks him as a top doctor and among the top 1% in the nation for pain management. Becker's Review selected him as one of the 70 best pain management physicians in America. He's listed as a super doctor for the Washington, D.C., Baltimore, Northern Virginia area. Aches and Gains is a weekly talk show covering all aspects of pain and pain relief. The human impact is real. Older adults, children, and even infants struggle to cope with pain. But there's hope, and there are treatments that can ease pain and suffering. The show offers compelling stories about people who found relief. We share cutting-edge treatments from contributing experts, and we offer ways to help people cope with their pain. Welcome to the show. The very word torture conveys the stark reality of pain, pain inflicted intentionally upon another human being. Torture is not restricted to one ethnic, national, or geographic group. In fact, it's widely practiced throughout the world. Methods of inflicting pain can be physical, psychological, and sexual. Sadly, it's well known that torture can cause long-standing damage to the body and the mind. Our program this week traces some of the cruelties suffered by victims all over the world. Dr. Raman Asghari of the Mount Sinai School of Medicine will help us understand this dark phenomenon and guide us through his efforts to heal those victims he's been able to reach. We'll then hear the harrowing experiences of author Marina Namat, who endured painful foot lashings, a broken wrist, and narrowly escaped a death sentence while she was imprisoned in Iran. Aches and Gains is supported by Medtronic, Endo Pharmaceuticals, Pentec Health, and Boston Scientific. For live online listening to Aches and Gains, please go to paulchristomd.com. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristomd.com. That's paulchristomd.com. If you have questions or comments for Dr. Christo, especially for upcoming shows, please email him at achesandgains at gmail.com. That's achesandgains at gmail.com. Dr. Raman Asghari has been evaluating torture survivors from all over the world. He's worked in human rights clinics both at the Montefiore Medical Center and the Mount Sinai School of Medicine in New York City. In fact, he founded and directed the Mount Sinai Human Rights Program. Dr. Asghari, welcome to Aches and Gains. Thank you. Glad to be here. Uh, Roman, it's not well known, but recent studies indicate that 50% of all countries, including 79% of the G20 countries, continue to practice systematic torture despite a universal ban. Why is this occurring? I think the major problem and an issue with it is that we have kind of international agreements and laws, but there is no mechanism to enforce them. Fundamentally, I think it's uh, the lack of awareness about it. And I think in many countries, they use this um, kind of idea of either national security or, or you know, um, a collateral damage or something that is needed to protect us against, you know, um, um, a bad thing, and they use it as an excuse, and they continue to do it. Most physicians and healthcare workers are most likely to encounter torture survivors as refugees and asylum seekers. Is that how you've seen them? Yes, and, and then immigrants in the U.S. The prevalence is pretty close to the you know prevalence of depression you know within that community, which is around ten to fifteen percent. So ten to fifteen percent prevalence of torture is pretty high. Raman, will you share with us one of the more compelling stories of painful torture that you've encountered? Well, I mean, um, 
So there's another story. Is um, uh, this this another guy who's from Ethiopia, and they basically arrested him and they took him to prison for nine months. And while he was there, he they kind of uh, beat him up with baton, almost on a daily basis for um, a long period of time. And then they applied electrical shock to his torso and they cut his um, upper chest uh, with the knife and then due to uh, some of these significant beatings with baton he had uh, and then and the scars from the knife and he had obviously cut in skins and he didn't get medical care and they got infected and they were foul smelling he got like fevers and you know lost a lot of weight got depressed and all of them happened when he was in, you know, solitary confinement for nine months. And, uh, you know, and he had significant scar on his body. He's, he's just basically ashamed even to take off his, sh- you know, shirt because he has just significant scars. And does he have lasting pain as a result? Well, he has very uh, chronic type of pains that are kind of all over the place, but mostly around where the scar is. And, and those pain are kind of uh, uh, not necessarily on a daily basis significant, but, you know, kind of wax and wane. When we talk about torture, we can subdivide it into physical, psychological, and sexual, but most victims often endure all three of them simultaneously. Is that right? Absolutely. I mean, you're absolutely right. A lot of times when people actually don't talk about it, it's just they don't know that the psychological suffering Sexual trauma, it's, it's obviously taboo, and in the majority of the cases that I have seen, it's not really uh, only something that happens to women. And Raman, what kind of sexual trauma have you seen? I mean, I have one case, that now, now you're asking, I remember, this is a very uh, dramatic case that this guy from Chad was um, kind of imprisoned for almost a year, and kind of they kept him in a, in a junkyard in a, in a cell, and and they basically they make him they strip him naked and they make him to really try to have sex with the whole underground and then obviously cannot do it and then they take turn and basically rape him and they take him back into the cell and then the second night they come back to pick him up and again basically do the same thing what they do is that they put um, like pieces of metals. Uh, scrap metals together, and they uh, and they make kind of like a, a explosive device, and they put it between his thigh, and they explode that thing, and then he gets all of this burn and shrapnels all over uh, his upper thigh and genitalia. It's really awful to hear that pain is inflicted in that way. When we come back, we'll talk to Dr. Asgari about whether survivors experience chronic sexual or pelvic pain following sexual torture. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and this is Aches and Gains. Aches and Gains is supported by Medtronic, the global leader in medical technology, alleviating pain, restoring health, and extending life for millions of people around the world. If you have questions or comments for Dr. Christo, especially for upcoming shows, please email him at achesandgains at gmail.com. That's achesandgains at gmail.com. Welcome back. Raman, will you tell us about how likely it is that survivors experience chronic sexual or pelvic pain following sexual torture? In general, my experience, people who have electrical shock to their genital area, 
uh, but there is no specific and big scars or something like that. They have, uh, they complain more of the chronic type of pain that is all over. And people who had penetration and they have been raped, I'm talking about male at this moment, uh, they really have more uh, kind of symptoms that are related to the chronic constipation and pain upon defecation. Uh, Raman, is suicide more common among survivors of torture? The suicidal thoughts are extremely common among the survivors of the torture in general and is extremely underreported um, that basically help them to get over those suicidal thoughts. Although I had cases that, they, you know, they not only they had thoughts, but they actually acted upon the thoughts, but they were revived, and so they survived the process. Roman, are there similar methods of coping during torture that your survivors talk about? Yes. Uh, you know, every single time it amazes me with the stories that I hear and uh, that how could possibly someone survive this? And the main thing for me is the the conviction and the and the commitment that they have for the cause, and it's so strong and that you know it keeps them going, and and the resilience that they have that obviously comes from either you know a family background or a learning process during the childhood. Raman, when we think of the word torture, powerful images come to mind that are really impossible to ignore. That being said, would you describe some of the more common methods of torture? The majority of the clients have some form of a blunt trauma. They have been injured with the type of tools that they don't necessarily leave scars. They don't have edges or they don't have like a point. It leaves a scar at the time, you know, bruises, those kind of things, but it doesn't leave a scar that is going to last for more than six to eight weeks. And that, for example, a baton is a type of it. And, you know, boots, kicking, and fist, and those kind of things are very common. And that's the way they do it. In your experience, does blunt trauma result in chronic pain? Like, for example, chronic heel pain or changes in the way someone walks or impaired neurologic sensations? Well, in general, people who have blunt trauma, they complain more of a chronic pain. And normally, or a kind of a limitation of uh, basically a range of motion and that the specific, you know, area. And, and how about whole body suspension by the wrists or the ankles that can lead to nerve injuries like brachial plexus injuries or stretch arthritis syndrome? Yes, I mean, I've seen, mostly I've seen people from... Uh, you know, Southeast of Asia. Uh, I mean, those. I, I mean, most most of the time when they are suspended, they are kind of uh, suspended from their ankles, and so their heads is uh, um, kind of uh, uh, in the lower part, and they have for the first half an hour, and they pass out, and they normally c- complain of headache. I think there's also documented uh, brachial plexus injury or. Uh, injury to the nerves underneath the armpit that can result in lifelong neurogenic or nerve pain. Uh, Raman, what do you know about something called the Wheel of Buddha? That's basically, uh, you know, they're shackled under ankle and they're handcuffed. And then from the from the back, those ankles and, and, um, and wrist, and then again, you know, they tie together from the back. And then they suspend them from their ankles and wrists. All of them tied together, they suspend them. How long are they suspended? And normally these things happen around, 
you know, half an hour to one hour. And then they, you know, after that, most of the cases, after half an hour, they don't feel anything anymore. And Dr. Asghari, what's your theory behind that? It's just basically, you know, the impulses, they're not going to really trigger the pain area in our brain anymore because, you know, they're saturated. And then, you know, when they're saturated, then we're not going to really perceive the pain. We need to take a break, and we'll have more from Dr. Asghari next time. Coming up is Maria Namat, a survivor of torture by the government of Iran. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and this is Aches and Gains. Aches and Gains is supported by Pentech Health, one of the nation's largest pharmacy and nursing companies, dedicated solely to providing in-home care for patients with implanted pumps used for the treatment of severe pain or spasticity. Follow us on Twitter at DRPaulCristo and like us on Facebook, Aches and Gains. Welcome back. Marina Namat is a survivor of torture by the government of Iran. She's written two best-selling books about her experiences, Prisoner of Tehran and After Tehran, A Life Reclaimed. Now making her home in Canada with her family, she's been a guest speaker in support of torture survivors at many universities and conferences around the world. Marina, welcome to Aches and Gains. Thank you so much for having me. Take us back to 1981, after the Islamic Revolution in Iran. Why were you singled out for arrest and torture? For attending protest rallies against the government and also for speaking out against my newly appointed school principal, who was a member of Revolutionary Guard. Um, let's not forget that this was the time of the Iranian Cultural Revolution. So um, many of our subjects in school were replaced by a religious propaganda. And I raised my hand during calculus class one day and asked the calculus teacher to teach calculus instead of propaganda. She said, you don't like what I teach, leave. Um, I was 14 years old, and um, you don't challenge a 14-year-old to leave class. So I just got up, collected my books, and walked out, and most of my classmates followed. So we went on strike, and after three days, the principal said, you either go back to class or I call the Revolutionary Guard, and they would come and arrest you or shoot you. So we thought, okay, going back to class is better than being shot. What a frightening occurrence. Uh, Marina, what were the circumstances surrounding your arrest? I was arrested at home late at night on January 15, 1982. Um, I was about to take a bath. The doorbell rang and opened the bathroom door. There were two guns pointed in my face. So they put me in a car and they took me to Evin Prison in uh, north of Tehran. I know this may be difficult for you to describe, but what kind of torture did they inflict upon you? Oh, not at all. I will describe it. This is what I do almost 24-7. I give five talks a week, so 99% of people who enter Evin are tortured. Um, And I realized that they meant business, so um, I didn't want to cause any extra trouble. And I was in a small room with um, two men, Ali and Hamid, and they um, handcuffed me. And when they handcuffed me, I was tiny, I was 95 pounds, they realized my hands will slide out of the cuffs. So they put both my wrists into one cuff, And as it clicked, I literally heard my right wrist crack. And I screamed my head off, and the torture hadn't even begun yet. And then um, I was lying down on my stomach. They took off my socks and my shoes, and they lashed the soles of my feet with a length of cable. And that is the favorite method of torture in the Middle East. I can't imagine how painful that was. When we come back, we'll ask Marina how long she endured the lashings to her feet. 
I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and this is Aches and Gains. Aches and Gains is supported by Endo Pharmaceuticals, a U.S.-based specialty healthcare solutions company that delivers innovative diagnostics, drugs, devices, and clinical data to meet the needs of patients in areas such as pain, urology, oncology, and endocrinology. For live online listening to Aches and Gains, please go to paulchristomd.com. That's paulchristomd.com. Welcome back. Marina, how long did you have to endure the lashings to your feet? I have absolutely no idea. My perception of time uh, for that period is completely mixed up. This kind of torture, it um, affects the nervous system. And um, the pain, it just spreads through your body. And it's, it feels like your whole nervous, nervous system explodes with, with each strike. And then it's put back together. It completely disables you in the sense that your sense of logic um, does not work. Okay, imagine for a moment a bed, a twin bed with no mattress. And they tie you up to that bed completely. You can't budge. Then there's somebody standing above you, uh, close to the foot of the bed, right, with a length of cable, uh, electric cable, a thick one, not, not, you know, a relative, like less than an inch, but I mean, you know. And then he, this, the, this lash lands because both of your, you're lying down your stomach. So both of the soles of your feet are exposed. So the lash lands on both of your feet at once. My left foot got it worse because of the angle, I guess. So it um, just has more scar tissue. So my left foot got it worse than my right did. But you get the same number on both feet. That really is horrible. Oh, it is horrible. How often does this occur? Well, they, they beat people continuously. But they stopped beating me after a while. And then they helped me sit up. And when I looked at my feet, I couldn't believe what I saw because I didn't know the human body was capable of swelling so much. They looked like party balloons with toes on them. And um, then they made me walk. I don't know how long. And um, what happens is that when you walk, the swelling goes down a little and then they beat again. If they continue for a long time, the skin would break and then you will die from infection. The point is to make you suffer and break your soul, to rob you from your humanity. That's the point of torture. And I think many torturers use blunt trauma as a means to inflict pain because it leaves no evidence on the body of the survivor, or physical evidence, that is. Marina, during your two years or so of imprisonment, were you subjected to this painful torture every day? No, you know, you can't. You, it will kill you within days. If that goes on, there isn't a whole lot of stuff holding your feet together. Okay, it will break the skin and then infection. It will kill. And again, that's not the point. During your interrogation, now your interrogation might last two days. It might last three. It might last a week. I just went through the beatings the first night. I got a death sentence. It was reduced to life in prison. And then I was sent to the cell block. And when you're in, in the cell block, you're not beaten. You, you're only beaten if you're taken for interrogation. And sometimes some people stayed in the cell block for a year, then they were called for interrogation again because somebody either said something about them or new information came in or whatever, and they decided to interrogate them again. Were there different methods of torture for women or men? On women, they usually did just the soles of the feet. They did a lot of a lot more kicking and you know punching and that sort of thing with men, or you know the hanging from the ceiling. That was also much more common with men than it was with women. Wow, that that's horrific. Uh, Marina, you mentioned earlier that the handcuffs broke your wrist. It was extremely swollen 
of course. And I couldn't move it for a very long time. When I got to the cell block, um, one of the girls, she gave me, she had an extra headscarf and she gave it to me and while well, she helped me and we tied my wrist. Um, I would take it off and, you know, wash it and just gradually it got better and then I was able to move it again. And it was probably taken for granted that there was no medical care there. No, no, no. There was definitely no medical care. No. no. It was, you know, if something happened to you, basically you had to pray for the best. And we had like um, one woman in our cell block who had been a nurse. And she said, everything is in place. So as long as, you know, you're just careful, you, you don't bang yourself all over the place, uh, you should be fine. Marina, did you have constant wrist pain? Oh, all the time. It was constant, almost at night, you know, when your sleeping is always throbbing, you know, and at any moment you could be called to be tortured again or executed. You're standing in the bathroom line, they would announce your name over the loudspeaker, come to the office, and they could take you and execute you without any warning, some pain in your wrist. Um, You know, I had bigger problems, I guess. Did you see others die from being tortured? I didn't see it with my eyes, but I definitely know some people were taken for an interrogation, never came back. And I know that they died. Now, whether they died under torture or they were executed, I don't know. But uh, definitely people died in there. Uh, some people committed suicide. Not not so many. But, I mean, there were people who committed suicide. Mm. Do you continue to have pain in your feet and wrist today from having endured the torture of the foot lashings and the broken wrist? The serious problem that I have is in my feet. That has always, you know, since then, it has been an issue. So I have difficulties standing up you know, in one place for more than five, ten minutes. So that's difficult. And also a lot of blood vessels, they told me, um, were damaged in my feet. So by, let's say, noon, um, my feet would be swollen. You know, the circulation is just really, really bad in my feet. And do you have a burning sensation or a throbbing sensation? Or or what kind of a sensation do you feel in your feet every day? There's a throbbing, deep pain in the soles of my feet, in the arc of my feet. Unfortunately, we're out of time. But this is both a serious and very important topic. So please join me next time when we continue our discussion with both Marina Namat and Dr. Raman Asghari on the topic of pain of torture. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. If you have questions or comments for Dr. Christo, especially for upcoming shows, please email him at achesandgains at gmail.com. That's achesandgains at gmail.com. Here we have a question from Olita in Jackson, Mississippi. I've had two rotator cuff surgeries on my right shoulder several years apart due to different tears. I've tried physical therapy, cinnamon and honey, joint solutions, glucosamine chondroitin, Celebrex, and 12 gin-soaked raisins a day, as well as acupuncture and most recently laser treatments. All of these have proved fruitless. I'm only 63 years old and I'm very active, but I'm becoming more and more depressed and would appreciate any ray of hope you might have to offer. Well, Alita, if you're weak, make sure that the physical therapist addresses strengthening the rotator cuff muscles. If the weakness is due to neurological injury, then a consultation with a neurologist would be important. Sometimes a test called an EMG nerve conduction test evaluation is performed to assess nerve and muscle problems. Maybe this is something to consider as well. If the lining of the joint is inflamed, which is called a bursitis, then injections of steroid and local anesthetic can reduce inflammation and facilitate rehabilitation. You may consider an oral medicine called tramadol for pain relief or even later opioids. I'm sorry to hear that you're feeling depressed. Many of my patients with pain feel the same way, but they find support from psychologists that specialize in pain who do cognitive behavioral therapy. 
The views and opinions expressed in this radio program are solely the views of Dr. Paul Christo and do not necessarily express the views of this radio station and Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine, nor an endorsement by any or all of them of any of its content. This show provides medical information, not advice. Please consult your personal physician before engaging in any course of treatment or use of any of the techniques or products discussed on this show. Discussion of particular uses of products on this show have not been approved by any of the manufacturers of such products. For live online listening to Aches and Gains, please go to paulchristomd.com. Follow us on Twitter at drpaulchristo and like us on Facebook, Aches and Gains. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristomd.com. That's paulchristomd.com. Aches and Gains is produced by Tom Blair and Ty Ford. Elsa Langford is the technical consultant and engineer. Dr. Paul Christo is the executive producer. Thanks for listening. This is Aches and Gains with Dr. Paul Christo.